Coming up, we'll see if drug dealers take personal checks. We'll talk about the real golden age of TV. And Good Old War has a new EP. We'll take a look. I'm Chris Messina, and this is 15 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Messina. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of 15 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Coming up later, we'll take a look at the golden age of TV and Good Old War. But, but right now, um, when I first moved out to Portland... My girlfriend at the time and myself knew no one. We didn't have any jobs. We didn't even have any job prospects, friends, places to stay. Basically, fresh out of college, I was able to find some seasonal work at Sears. She, being much smarter than I and fluent in French, immediately got a job at the French American School. Uh, it was there that she met a very nice woman who, for the sake of this story, we're going to call Carol. Now, Carol had six kids and was looking for some weekend help to supplement her, her nanny, who only really worked during the week. In need of money, of course, my girlfriend said yes, and within a couple of weeks, the nanny had left, and my girlfriend basically took over watching these kids full-time. Carol was an incredibly generous woman, but with one fatal flaw. She had a, a bit of a drinking problem, and, and I don't mean like, oh, it's four o'clock, it must be time for a martini. I mean professional-level alcoholic event on a daily basis. But let me digress a little bit. This story begins years earlier. Carol and her husband had met in college. Now, they had lots in common. They both came from well-to-do families. They, I guess, were both at that college. Um, but the one thing they had in common more than anything else is they loved to party, and party they did. As they left college and her husband went off to law school, unfortunately, the drinking didn't end. But they did manage to find sort of a, a functional level. Six kids and 20 years later, the husband had become a well-respected attorney who had at some point, finally overcome his drinking problem and had managed about 10 years sober. He threw his addiction into something else. He became a runner. In fact, he ran marathons. And by that point, even Carol had curtailed much of her drinking. Maybe not all of it, but much of it. But one Christmas Eve, a year or so before we met them, he told the family he was just going out for a run, and then he never came home. The cops found him on the trail where he fell. He was the victim of a vicious heart attack, and the post-mortem showed that he had the heart of a 90-year-old, damaged essentially due to his years of, of hard drinking. Carol, meanwhile, put the kids into the hands of nannies and put a bottle into her own, and worse than that, as she took to dating, she decided, of course, with there no being Tinder or anything at the time, to use AA as her dating pool, and that's where she found a man we're going to call Luke. Now, Luke was a frenetic man, always with energy, always on the go, always chasing the next big idea. And he had convinced Carol to put a decent sum of money into this business idea of his, one where he would go and, and search out new construction builds at, like, city offices, and then he'd put together a newsletter for contractors and subcontractors so they could bid the jobs. It wasn't a terrible business, and he and Carol worked on it together out of her house. One thing they also did together at the house was get wasted. It was not unusual not to see them for days as they disappeared into her bedroom for whatever darkness lay behind those wooden doors. Now, it was on a Saturday morning that my girlfriend and I were woken from a frantic call from Carol. Luke had gone on a bit of a coke binge and had stolen a couple computers, cash, and the family minivan. Now, she didn't know where he was or what he was doing, and she was worried, in fact, that he was going to come back with friends and try and take more. So we hauled ass over to her house and helped clean up the mess he had left because he had trashed the place. We got the kids in order, and all the while, Carol retreats to her bedroom to deal with the issues uh, with her own liquid-based solutions. 
That night, Saturday, I got to stay downstairs with a bat and the phone ready to call the police while my girlfriend stayed upstairs with the kids and Carol worked on dry drowning herself in vanilla extract. All right, don't seem so surprised. Here's a very interesting point. Carol really liked getting her chips at AA. She also really liked getting drunk. Her solution was to buy bulk vanilla extract at Costco. And for those who don't know, vanilla extract has an alcohol content of about 35% or 70 proof, which is pretty potent stuff. So she'd skip the real alcohol, drink the vanilla, and then head to AA with a, a clear conscience. So that night, I basically got no sleep. Carol's house was this old turn-of-the-century giant witch at 2 o'clock in the morning, whilst one is waiting for the imminent return of a coked-out idiot and his druggy friends, it just seemed to settle and ache and groan an inordinate amount. I feel like it had it out for me a bit. Even for an old house, it was really making some weird noises. So I got no sleep whatsoever. I was skitterish as hell. As dawn broke on Sunday, and by dawn... I actually mean early afternoonish, because that's when Carol came down. And she informed us that Luke had called and told her that he needed $1,400 by 4 o'clock, or his dealer was going to kill him. Now, I was all for that, but more empathetic and still inebriated heads prevailed, and Carol said, we have to go get the money and save him. To protect the kids best we could from even more trauma, they got left at home with my girlfriend, and I got to head out with Carol in her other minivan in search of money. Now, the problem wasn't that she didn't have money, Carol was wealthy, but rather that this was a Sunday in the age before you could have just simply texted someone the cash. So we went to her bank, and she took out $400. But the problem was, is that was the limit for that ATM. Now, we drove to other ATMs, but they all said they'd hit her limit, leaving us $1,000 short on cash and Luke's life hanging in the balance. Now, by this point, because we had driven around now for more than two hours, it was almost four o'clock, and we had no choice to go to the meeting with Luke with what we had. We met in downtown Portland at a nondescript corner. Luke was already there. Another man with this long, greasy hair and dirty-looking, ill-fitting clothes stood next to him. Two other men, looking rather large and somewhat dangerous, stood behind them talking. I parked the van. Did, did I mention I, I got to drive? I did, not because I like driving minivans, but because Carol was still drunk, and I insisted I, I take the wheel even though she thought she was fine. So nevertheless, I parked the van. She turns to me and she says, Okay, I need you to go ask if they'll take a check. Now, I was, at this point, only modestly incredulous. I said, you want me to go ask a drug dealer if he'll take a personal check? Yes, she said. All right, so I got out, mentally checked this off my bucket list, and walked up to Luke and his fire hazard of a friend. Hey, so it's Sunday, and we can only get like $400 out of the bank. Any way you could take a personal check? And the dealer looked at me in his eyes, narrowed, a little confused, quite frankly, and he shrugged. Whatever. Okay, then, I said, and I went to tell Carol. So at this point, she was shaking so bad, but maybe from fear, maybe from the alcohol, I'm not sure, that I actually had to write out the check. She just signed it, and then I got back out with the envelope filled with 400 bucks in the check and handed it all to the dealer. Literally, the second I did that, Luke, who had been standing there unable to make eye contact the whole time, turned tail and ran, and we literally never saw him again. The dealer acknowledged my efforts with a head nod, and then he walked off with his bruisers, and I drove Carol back to the house. On the way back, wasting no time, she asked if I wanted to take over the business, and I, of course, knew nothing about it or how it worked, but she offered to pay me relatively well, so I was like, sure. 
And I ran it well for more than a year. It was a great learning experience for me, really giving me a foundation that helped me when I later started my own business. But the most important thing I learned was that some drug dealers, at least on a Sunday, are willing to take personal checks. So let's talk a little bit about TV. Now, anybody who knows me knows I love TV. I've always loved TV. As a kid growing up, I was passionate about it. In college, my first nickname was Lounge Meister, although it was later shortened to Meister, which made it seem like I was running a cult. But if I was, I assure you, we would have watched an awful lot of television. So here now we exist in this time of of peak TV, in which there are more than 450 scripted shows on TV every year, and that number continues to grow. And let's just presume that, like right here, I made a joke about how half of them are Kardashian-related, but I didn't make that joke, keep in mind, because Kardashians are the biggest waste of 15 minutes known to man. They literally make serial killer infamy seem promising, which is why I did not make that joke. I won't be making that joke or mentioning the Kardashians at all. Some folks are calling it the golden age of television, and in fact there's even a Wikipedia page to that effect, and it says that even starting back to 2000 we would be in the third golden age of TV, which is of course stupid. You get one golden age, right? If every frickin' age is golden, then where's the value in having a golden age? You either have a golden age, or if they're all golden, then who cares? Well the idea is that the 50s was the first golden age with TV in its infancy. The 80s was the second because well, I guess the A-Team and Riptide, they were back-to-back -back on NBC at one point in time, and maybe that's what did it. I'm not sure about that. And then the aughts and beyond is now the third. Now, of course, this designation is given not necessarily on the growth of amazing quality television as much as just growth in the TV industry itself. TV came into adulthood in the 50s, expanded with cable and broadcast networks in the 80s, now with satellite, cable, streaming, and more, the number of options has exploded, and thereby, hence, hey, it's the golden age. Of course, that's a stupid way to anoint something as golden. That's basically like suggesting that Old Country Buffet is the gold standard of restaurants, and they only keep getting better because they keep increasing their options. Well, I'm here to drop a little bomb on you, okay? There are some amazing shows on right now. But there were also great shows on in the 90s, and, and the 80s, and the 70s, and 60s, and 50s. Now, you could sit down and look at the quality of writing and production values and originality of the shows and weigh things out based on some sort of a prorated per capita percentage style thing. Or you could just listen to my wisdom. And, and judging by this sentence, as I think back to what I'm saying, try to also survive my smug, egotistical rant that seems to be on the horizon. The golden age of TV is not right now. It wasn't the early aughts, it wasn't the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, 60s, or even 50s. The golden age of television was radio. Mic drop. It would have been more effective if I had a mic to drop. I, I don't. But you get the idea. Okay. I hear people suggesting that radio isn't TV and that this entire postulation literally is nonsensical. That's true. 
but it doesn't make it wrong. And, and here's why. As great as TV is right now, or ever, radio was better. And, and it has something that almost nothing on TV can claim. It was original. There are sort of two important things, right? First off, let's deal with imagination. One of the drawbacks to, to television and film, or maybe it's a plus because Americans are lazy, is that it, it, it tells you not only what to think, it shows you what to think. There's no interpretation. You know, this is your star. This is what they sound like. This is what they look like. This is what they're wearing. This is their house, their car, their girlfriend or boyfriend, period. And it's all laid out there for you and you don't have to do any work, and the decisions made by the producer and the director have put it all before you on a platter, take it or leave it. Radio, though, is like a book you don't have to read. Yeah, no, I said it. Sure. Look, you get a voice, but the rest is left up to your imagination, and it makes the entire experience more inclusive because you get to put your indelible stamp on the entire production. The voices and sound guide you along in a story, but the parts that make it so amazing they all come from the listener. Now, the second thing is the things that people think make TV so great. All they did is steal almost every idea from radio, and then they bought the talent away from radio to make their medium the dominant one, but not a superior one. And if you don't believe me, let's go over some things on TV, and I'll tell you where they came from. Let's start with the big thing right now. Of course, it's superheroes, right? Netflix has a ton of shows. Basically, the entire CW lineup is superheroes. But guess what? They were huge on radio first. Not long after the first Superman comic book came out, he had a radio show, and it ran for like 2,600 episodes. And Batman was on it, too. And there were others, though. You know, the Green Hornet, and no, not the crappy one, with Seth Rogen. Or The Shadow, which had Orson Welles, the man with the voice, as the lead. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> the shadow knows. There was even Blue Beetle, who before his character was bought by DC and turned into a DC superhero, he was on the radio. And there were others, too, that you probably haven't heard of, like Captain Midnight, but they were all over the place. And if you love your police procedurals and your buddy cop shows, you'd love Dragnet, the original. Oh, you thought that started on TV? It didn't. It was on the radio. Oh, and try this on for size if you're a Law & Order fan. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know it if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st, whether they know it or not. The security of their persons their homes, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st. Okay, so I added the ding, all right? That admittedly wasn't there in the original, but you get the idea where they stole it from. If you need a lawyer, try Perry Mason. Yes, again, started on the radio long before it got to TV. You like detective shows? You like snotty Englishmen solving it? Sherlock Holmes is on the radio. If you like your, your hard Boiled gumshoes, Philip Marlowe, Sam Spade, or something more fun like The Thin Man or cartoonish like Dick Tracy? What about all those shows about the feds, the NCISs and all that stuff? We'll try 1936's Gangbusters. Okay, what about sci-fi? Oh, you mean like Buck Rogers or, or Flash Gordon or maybe Dimension X? 
if you think Twilight Zone started stuff, or you think Dark Matter's really doing it, you should give a listen to X-1, the real progenitor for those shows. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of Astounding Science Fiction, presents... X minus one. What about grabbing those famous people and building shows around them? They did it all the time on radio. Milton Berle and Bob Hope and hell, if you think Larry David was the original Kurt Mudgeon, then you should really give a shot to Jack Benny. Because that guy was cheap and complained about everything. If you think soap operas started on TV, well, Guiding Light got its start on the radio in 1937. Love your game shows? 20 questions, you bet your life, truth or consequences, all on the radio. If you love your sitcoms, there were family sitcoms like Blondie or Fibber McGee and Molly. And, oh, what about Ozzy and Harriet? Which was literally the template for every freaking family comedy ever made. And if you're a fan of the Goldbergs, and by the way, I am a huge fan of the Goldbergs. I also grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I can relate to every episode. Adam Goldberg is a genius, but that said, still not the first Goldbergs. Is anybody? There she is. That's Molly Goldberg, folks. A woman with a place in every heart. And a finger in every pie. And now the makers of New Does. That new kind of soap for everything right down your wash line. Bring you another visit with those good folks, the Goldbergs. That Jewish family dominated the airwaves starting back in 1929. If you love Cheers... Try Duffy's Tavern. What about Westerns? Sure, they dominated television in the 60s, right? But on the radio, first, there was the Lone Ranger, or the longest-running TV Western, Gunsmoke, was on the radio before it became a TV show. Or what about those annoying morning variety news infotainment shows? You thought that started with TV? Nope. There was something called the Ever Ready Hour, and it began the whole celebrity talk variety circuit in 1929. And then something called The Breakfast Club took the reins in 1938, and it ran on radio through the 60s. Talent shows like America's Got Talent or anything, Arthur Godfrey was there, Ed Sullivan too, both on radio first, even stupid prank shows. Yeah, that started on the radio with People Are Funny back in 1938. Also, if you thought racially insensitive television began with a Fox News roundtable, you'd love Amos and Andy, the sitcom about two black guys written and starring two white guys doing their best minstrel radio blackface. Listen here, fellas. I ain't told you this, but here's the jam I was in. About six months ago, I discovered that this uncle of mine that's coming up here tomorrow done cut me out of his will. Ooh, I didn't know that. Uh, now, there's a serious thing. Yeah. And I found out that the reason he done cut me out is because he thinks I is undisresponsible. Man, is that racist. And even dumb, over-the-top punditry was working on radio long before TV. Here's Walter Winchell. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. San Juan, Puerto Rico. The Nationalist Party of Puerto Rico is on the march. They are plotting violence and maybe a revolution after raiding armories for their guns. New York City, hear this. Dorothy Parker, the famous playwright and poet, will make a speech in New York on the 17th at a hall in Greenwich Village, probably on Fourth Street. On behalf of the communists, 
now in American jails for conspiring to overthrow the United States. Good girl, good girl. Even the networks you know and love were actually radio networks first. NBC, CBS were the first big networks, and NBC even spun off part of its business to start ABC. There's more, but you get the idea. Basically, everything you love about TV was cribbed from radio. And, and now, look, by 1955, the money and the stars were thrown into TV, and not because it's a better medium to tell a story, but because the advertisers thought it was an easier place to sell products. So they took their money and threw it into TV, and thus everything followed after. So yeah, look, there are a lot of great shows on TV today, but is it the new golden age? No. There was only one golden age, and that, like Orson Welles and his War of the Worlds, was on the radio. From there I could see standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Slain, after all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, as wisdom, has put upon this earth. Take a look at some music. You know, they always say the book is better than the movie, and in music the analogy might be that the live show is better than the album. But that always came, of course, with one giant caveat. That's not always the case. Live music can be a real mixed bag. Some bands just flat out suck. Some bands only get by by using exciting lights and pyrotechnics. Others add lots of additional musicians with overdubbing and lip syncing. Some, though, just nail it every time. And that's good old war. Now, let's be clear, good old war is not applauding man's overwhelming love for conflict. The name stems from the band's members themselves. Good for singer Keith Goodwin. Old for drummer Tim Arnold. Guitarist Dan Schwartz provides the war portion of the name. Their albums, starting with uh, 2010's Only Way to Be Alone, are all solid efforts. But if you're not familiar with their work, uh, the best way to join the party, actually, is with their live album. Now, you'd I can't think of any other band where that would be my first recommendation. If you really want to get into the band, try their live album. Because usually the live album is, you know, something more personal. If you don't know the songs, you can get lost in the live albums. But with Good Old War, it's different. Live from the City of Brotherly Love 
is an impeccable album. What you, what you get there is a stripped-down band layering their three voices into harmonies that just bury those songs deep in your consciousness to the point where you start singing along without even knowing it. So before you run out and buy the EP, although I guess I really should say before you pick up your phone and grab their latest EP, head over to Bandcamp and grab their live album and see how a real live band puts on a show that you never want to leave. Now, all that praise about the live aspect of Good Old War leaves the one issue their studio albums have. Despite being filled with earworms and solid musicianship, amazing vocals, they never quite capture that certain quality that just makes their live stuff stand out so much. Their new EP, Part of Me, falls into that category. It's good. It's really good. But it, it's still lacking just something, and, and I don't think it's something you can capture in the studio. Well, let's jump into it. it. It begins with The River. It's a light, swinging jaunt about looking at the way we move through our lives. We've gone to the river to get some peace, and we're going to the valley below. You can meet me in the middle on your way, and we won't have to go alone. I know that it's better when we get along, and I think we found a way to get by. After that, we jump into the title track, Part of Me, which slows things down. It adds the texture of a slide guitar. It's, it's very ethereal and inviting. We've got to run. If you're holding on, the seams will come undone. And you only get part of me. We don't your break while we're playing it safe you'll only get part of me but i'm always looking forward for an open door i found an outlet for all my feelings they're trying to cut the song only a number seems to be talking about having that tough conversation about past loves as with so many of their songs though it is concisely constructed and sounds like it's built for a good old war live show Once, the truth was so hard to find i can't count how many times she said it might be How Did You Find Me, which adds a different sound to the backing vocals, and it leaves Goodwin's vulnerable lead vocals to stand on their own. How did you find me? Did you hear my heart beating out of my 
Finally, it all closes with Oak Tree, another guitar-strumming, harmony-driven sing-along song. Don't you want me by your side? Won't you meet me by the old oak tree? In the shade beneath the leaves before they fall like you and me. Where is your love now? I won't let you fool me I know I've seen it hanging around But it's been missing since just from the brief snippets, it's a good album, and I certainly recommend it, especially if you're a fan. If not, I would give their live album a try first, then circle back and check out this new EP, Part of Me, from Good Old Boy. Kiss me, she said, don't let this moment Again for sticking with me. Join me next time as we take a look at rodeos, being a geek in a geek-centric world, and I'll explain why you need to have Sloan in your record collection. I'm Chris Messina, and this was 15 Minutes. You'll never get back.
I should go back home.